0: Hey everybody! Welcome to Quizlet, our weekly chat with upcoming Quizatron guests. I'm your host Rebecca Watson, and I'm here as always with my co-host Quizatron's resident comedian Keith L. Jensen. Hey Keith, how's it going?
1: Very good. I finished my sandwich. I'm ready to go.
0: Thank. <laughs> I'm just so glad that you're coming prepared and not hangry. So, thank you.
1: We're good. Ice water. Everything. It's all set.
0: Great. <laughs> So today we're going to be chatting with our special guest comedian for the August show. You might know him from the Sarah Silverman program, Cannabis Planet, Getting Dug with High, or most recently from his new hit Netflix show, Cooking on High. Welcome to the show, Ngayo Bilem.
2: Hello. I listen to Keith eat his sandwich, so I'm also ready to go.
0: Okay, good. You won't be hangry either by proxy. By proxy. So. That's
2: right. I got a vicarious yeah. meal.
1: I I think I could sell this as a new diet plan.
2: I think it could be a new restaurant. Like Carrie's, you just watch other people eat. I'm sure the Republicans would love it.
1: I'm glad we're recording the place where you and I become millionaires. uh...
0: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it could be a spinoff from Cooking on High. It could be Eating on High. But Keith doesn't get high. Um,
2: (laughs) I bet there's a porn site somewhere where you just watch someone, uh, a sexy person eat. I'm sure someone's got a fetish for it.
0: You know what? Not only is that true, but I happen to know because I I stream on Twitch playing video games that they had to outlaw anyone eating on stream because there were these streamers that would eat on stream and people who found it sexually arousing would tune in and Twitch didn't want to cater to quote unquote cam girls. Oh,
1: Twitch, you pretty.
0: So when I first joined, I read the rules, and I'm like, why is there a rule against eating on stream? And apparently that's why.
1: Which is a perfect segue into Ngaio Bielema's new Netflix show. Uh, Ngaio, does it bother you at all the thought that while your guests are eating on the show, someone at home might be getting off to it?
2: Uh, no, I facts I encourage that. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. Why would it bother you? Like me? put
0: vaseline on the lens and put it in slow motion. Sure, we're
2: gonna gauze it up. <laughs> as long as they're not sitting next to me, actively enjoying themselves while watching someone else eat, I don't really have a problem with
1: it. No, we saved that for road trips. Fair enough. Which we've been we've been on a few. Um, tell me tell me about the new show.
2: It's like uh, it's the the. the uh, the thing most people say about it, it's kind of like Chopped, that it's a cooking competition. But we throw in a little twist uh, because we add cannabis. So it's really just an excuse to sit around and, and eat fancy food from these great chefs and talk about marijuana and crap jokes. But there's a, there's a competition element to it.
0: Does that mean when you say you add cannabis, does that mean you add it to the food or to the chefs?
2: Uh, yes. <laughs> to the food. The chefs can come uh, pre-added, I guess, if they like. <laughs> Some of them probably do. Some of them probably don't. You never know. So we add it to the food. We cook with cannabis butter and cannabis infused oils. And
1: you are resident comedian on the show, but really you're kind of the scientist.
2: I'm the cannabis expert. I have a wide ranging background in cannabis. I've uh, been involved in the cannabis industry for more than 20 years. I write about it uh, for various magazines and newspapers and uh, I love weed, and so since my name means hungry for knowledge, I've learned a lot about marijuana.
1: You're you're a self-professed nerd. Um, yes, big Star Trek fan. Were you this gigantic. way about weed right from the beginning, or you wanted to know what what cannabinoids were and what all the different things do? Because I, I hear you talking about it. And Really, it is. It's it's like someone from NASA describing. They're high.
2: <laughs> it's not quite rocket science, but I suppose you do it. <laughs> well, that. it is when you do it. <laughs> yeah, sure, because I'm high as a rocket. Um, we, uh, I, You know, I started out, I think like most donors, I just started out smoking weed and stuff, but then I really got into activism. And then when you become an activist for marijuana, you get to hang out with people who really love marijuana. And just by hanging out and talking, you learn more and more about it. There's magazines, you know, like High Times always talks about the different strains, you know, I mean. And so now it's become really uh, the science nerds have really gotten into it. Everybody's distilling THC and distilling CBD and just smoking pure uh, chemicals more than uh, the plant. A lot itself, you know, I I still love flowers. I like to take a little bit of marijuana and grind it up and smoke it. But a lot of other people, they just, you know, with the THC is the active ingredient, brother. So that's all you really need. And so they're into that. (laughs) Uh, I don't
1: know. You know, reading your column for the Sacramento News and Review, uh, I was interested to find people that are going the opposite direction as well. The people are like uh, celebrating the dirty brown weed of their youth, sure. and <laughs> getting back into, you know, smoking it through tinfoil, uh, <laughs> covered toilet paper roll. <laughs> wow. Is it like
2: 1989 up in here? Uh, uh, I don't know if people are really doing that. How, how
1: strong is that movement?
2: I don't. I don't really think there's like a back to the dirt weed movement so much as there is (laughs) people. Not everybody wants something that's thirty percent THC, where you only take one hit and you're blasted out of your mind. For a lot of people, smoking marijuana is a ritual, and a couple, three, four hits is some a part of their day. And so, if you, it's not really even about high THC for me because stone is stone. For me, it's really more like flavor and feel and effects. That's why I've been getting a lot more into terpenes, because that's where all the flavor and the effects come from. The THC is a THC, but really we start getting into things like bursine or pinene or limonene. There are different flavors. I think that's really where the, the excitement these days for me is.
0: For people who aren't familiar with weed at all, can you explain what the difference is between CBD and THC? Okay, yeah. Well, CBD
2: is the the one that most people know. That's the most psychoactive part of the cannabis. That's the thing that gives you that high feeling. Uh, Of course, if you ingest too much CBD, you may end up with some anxiety and a little paranoia. Um, And CBD is non-psychoactive in that manner, but it is known to be a good anti-inflammatory. It is also... Uh, helps with anxiety, and CBD is kind of um, like a THC dampener. It dampens the effects of THC, so you don't get too high. If you have something that's really high THC, if there's more CBD in that plant, you won't get uncomfortably loaded like you would with something that's just pure THC. And CBD is also known to be effective yeah. in treating a certain form of epilepsy and things like that.
1: Parkinson's. I I have one friend that's taken CBD oil for Parkinson's.
2: Yeah, is it helping?
1: He's really happy with the results. He he shows me. He shows me where his tremors at, and then takes the CBD. And uh, it's one of those things where. I'm like, I don't know if it's placebo or not, but if it is, I'm not messing with it. I'm not, you know, <laughs> why talk someone out of their placebo benefits? Yeah, if it's,
2: it. it's working, let it work. <laughs> I feel Right, it.
1: right. Another thing that you've been doing for uh, maybe almost as long as you've been enjoying marijuana is, uh, is stand up comedy.
2: Yes. We probably started about the same time.
1: No, I, I think you've got a few years on me.
2: No, I'm saying I probably started smoking weed and. and oh, okay. <laughs> I see. I think I first started smoking weed. I didn't start till college, so that have been like '86, and then I became a stand-up comic in '88, and then there I started go. getting hardcore into cannabis activism around 1989, 1990. So we've all three of those things have kind of grown up together.
1: With comedy, I think you become more visible to people when you start getting things on Netflix and and getting on the Sarah Silverman show. But I'm actually very interested in in the sort of lifestyle. Part of which is kind of dying right now of the like what we call the triple runs and the one nighters. Right. And, uh, and you were you were there when those were in full bloom. Like, how would you explain that that whole scene to someone that doesn't know about it?
2: Well, there was kind of a comedy boom for a while. Right. And so the beauty of comedy, one of the beauties of it, if it's 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 super portable and it's not crazy expensive. You need two comics. Uh, a microphone and a halfway decent sound system and a place with a bunch of chairs. So you can do it in a bar. You can do it in a nightclub. You can do it in a community center. You can do it in an old church. You can do comedy almost anywhere. You get a microphone, a bar stool, and a bunch of chairs. You have a comedy show. And so for a while, there were a lot of small towns and just different areas. Maybe they can't afford to You know, they're not big enough to have a full week-long club. You can't go Wednesday through Saturday or even Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But you could do a Tuesday night. You could do a Wednesday night. You could do a Thursday night once a week. And people will come to town to see see good comedy. And so that's really where I kind of, what do you say, made my bones, was as as a hardcore road dog. So the first night, you're in Missoula. And then the next night, you're in Helena. And then you're down in Butte. And then you go over to Billings. And then you're in Glendive come back and you play uh, Hanford and then you got two days off and then all of a sudden you're in Wyoming and now you're doing Rock Springs. That was a wild night. And Gillette and Cody. Uh, And it's a great way as a young comic, it's a great way just to see the country and to hone your craft because you have a show every night and you got an hour. So you have to entertain a completely different set of people uh, every night for an hour. And it's just beautiful because that's that's it's just like it's like going to comedy boot camp.
0: And do you do you set all that up yourself, or do you have an agent setting it all up? It sounds logistically like a nightmare.
2: Well, back in the day, it was really really easy because, like uh, like Keith said, there's there was uh, David Tribble, right? And so David had maybe eight, nine, ten weeks of work throughout. The western states, from Colorado to through Oregon, through Washington, through California, Montana, uh, Wyoming, all these places. Arizona, uh and then there were a couple guys. There's T.W. Kindle down in Texas, and he would he had a bunch of runs. And me and Doug Stanhope did like two weeks out there, and then there was another guy whose name has escaped me, who was in the Midwest, and he had a bunch of stuff. And then there's Pat Wilson, and so those people they would put all the runs together, and then you would just call him. You'd be like, "Hey, Pat, what do you got?" And she'd say, "I got." Uh, Medford and Poolsbow and all these things is this week. And then you can do the other oh one next God. week. Like I'm in. So you didn't, you didn't have to put it together yourself. You just had to, and this is back before email. So they would mail you an envelope full of all the dates <laughs> and the directions. And then you would go. Uh, now it's a little harder. It's a little more, it's a little less uh, centralized. And so it it is really, really hard to be a one nighter comic now because you've got to call five different people to book those five nights together and you hope that they're not already booked up and it's, it's, it's harder to do. And, and it's dying off and it doesn't pay what it used to. Gas is no longer a dollar a gallon. Hotel rooms are no longer $30. So they can't really pay you uh, what they used to. And people see so much comedy on YouTube and so many things. And they're like, well, why should I go to a live comedy show when I can just sit here and watch it on cable when a live comedy show was unbeatable. There's so many different things that can happen and things that can be said that you would never hear on television.
1: Right. It it's, it's really hard to explain to people they take it for granted that with music live it's going to be a whole different energy but oh my god that's so true with comedy there's to get in the room and and be part of that back and forth is incredible um especially on those those one-nighter levels where you're seeing people that are a little rougher and a little like you're gonna see some quality crazy like even a bad show is really entertaining
0: you mean like on and off stage right
1: okay right (laughs) Yeah. And the the offstage antics are funny when the comedian has to get up at six o'clock in the morning to start driving to the right, right, right. And (laughs) and that's
2: the thing, too. Right. So, uh, you know, me and my boy, Jason Restler, who's been a road dog almost as long as I as long as I have been sitting around lamenting the days because back in the day, man, you would you go on the road for three, three and a half, four weeks. Right. And you come back with a pile of money, uh, 15 new minutes. And all kind of crazy ass stories about the ridiculous <laughs> stuff that happened while you were on the road. <laughs> right. I got invited to a party one time. I think it was Rock Springs. I got invited to a party because I've been doing my whole show talking about weed and all this stuff. And This guy goes, yeah, hey, man, party at my house. I'm like, OK, that's cool. Uh, let me go get some weed from the hotel because it's Wyoming. So I don't just carry weed in my pocket. And then I'll meet you at your house, man. He gave me the address. I found it on a map. I showed up and they were all just sitting around smoking crack. Whoa. Oh wow! <laughs> right, that was the party. So I was there maybe ten minutes. I was like, anybody want to smoke some weed? They're like, no. They're like, hey man, you want to hit this crack? I'm like, I'm good. <laughs> just
1: There's a picture of me at an after party in uh, in Klamath Falls. Claire. I only went because the comic I was with wanted to go party, and I didn't, you know, want to be a wet blanket. Right. And and the picture of me is literally sitting at a table playing cards with two pregnant women. <laughs> <laughs> because we were the three people at the party that related to each other that weren't getting crazy. Uh, I was like, I'm boring. And they were like, We're pregnant. That's similar. It's
0: similar. <laughs> None of us are doing drugs. We're all straight in. It's very <laughs> much your brand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it is. Any pregnant ladies listening right now, hit me up. We'll play some rummy. It'll- I think they were they were hustling me, too. I, I think they were cheating at cards.
2: How much money did you lose?
1: <laughs> no, we were playing for Jolly Ranchers. Um, you mentioned being on the road with Doug Stanhope. Yes, um,
2: through Texas and Oklahoma. And, and if
1: I remember correctly, you were headlining.
2: I were. I was the headliner. I was <laughs> the opening act.
1: What's Doug like on the road? Because Doug's crazy enough when I work with him in one town. This was young,
2: young, wild-ass Doug, still building a reputation for himself. Uh, This is before the man show, before any of these other things. And uh, he was cool. We rolled around. So I met him in Texas. I think I took the train out to Texas. And I met him out there. We were rolling around in his 1975 Chevy Love pickup truck that he kept together with um, sheer force of will and plastic straws. I swear to God, that truck would not run on days that we did not have gigs. It would get us to the gig, but if we didn't have a gig, the truck wasn't going anywhere. It was really kind of weird. And uh, he smoked, his cigarette brand was whatever was on sale, and he ate mostly tomatoes and cottage cheese that whole week. And I'm the headliner. When I'm the headliner, I'm always like, I try to buy the, the feature act a meal or two during the course of the week, because I understand how it is. And he never—I
1: remember that, and I thought that was so generous of you.
2: Oh, thank you. He never really wanted me to buy him anything, and he knew all the happy hour buffets in every town. I was like, "Hey, man, we want to go eat." He's like, "Hey, there's a happy hour buffet. It's it's egg rolls and (laughs) and stuff. So we go either the Asian one or you want to go to the hot dog one, and then he'd go order a beer. They just eat all the happy hour food. I was like, man, that was wild to me. I was like, can we get a salad?
0: All right, we'll have some (laughs) tomato." I mean, tomatoes and cottage cheese is way healthier than what I was expecting you <laughs> to say. Uh, so.
2: I mean, it's vitamin C and protein, so you can't front. I mean, you know. At least yeah. Attention. yeah. But That's where I got the story about when we ended up at the strip club outside of Waco, and the doorman was wearing his white Power T-shirt. Oh, my God. Uh, I thought it was hilarious. And,
1: and... <laughs> so what happened next in Gaio?
2: Oh, come see my act. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you were really setting me up to set you up.
0: <laughs> Just to
1: crushingly disappoint.
0: He sounds so pleased with himself, too. I've never heard someone sound so smug over the audio.
2: Thank you. I practice. I practice. I also eat canaries.
0: I I can imagine like, going to all of those tiny towns in you know the 80s and 90s or whatever uh did you run into that sort of shit a lot like the racism um that, i mean i never really did like tours
2: through the deep 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 south so mostly like texas and wyoming and montana and there's a couple times i think there was a town where i got my tires slashed in wyoming uh and and i was pissed off because i'd had a good show Right. If I had had a back show, you <laughs> slashed my tires. I could like I completely understand that. If we had gotten into a fight or some sort of argument, my tires were slashed. I'd I'd, I'd You're that. like I deserve yeah, that. Fair enough. Yeah. But I rocked that set. I cra- I crushed that night. And then I come back and my tires were slashed, and that was that was hurtful. Um, but mostly not too many problems. I mean, you know, you get pulled over probably a little bit extra in a lot of towns. Craig, Colorado, I think pulled me over three times. the uh, 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 two times I went there. I think they pulled me over once going into town and once leaving town. Uh, but for the most part, oh I got pulled over outside in some small last town. I watched it one time too in broad daylight where he wanted to check my headlights, which I thought was pretty funny. I actually got out the car and looked at the headlights <laughs> with him. Like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the headlights are good, sir. Uh, you know, it's, it's so funny. I was doing, uh, I was doing. Wow. Uh, uh, they, they had a show called Make Me Laugh that they had rebooted for MTV or comedy central years and years ago.
0: And right, I remember that Yeah, comedy central. Comedy central so yeah. you,
2: you know, you write up a list of your jokes and you turn them in and then standards and practices comes and talks to you about it. And uh, Ed Krasik was standards and practices at the time. And he's, he's like, Hey, uh, you got a lot of jokes about being pulled over. And I was like, well, I get pulled over a lot. So <laughs> what do you want me to do?
0: How is that a standard or practice issue? Right.
2: (laughs) You know, they almost didn't air my episodes because i talked about weed and cops for quite a bit. They're like, yeah, this is the early 90s. People are still it's funny, man. Uh, It's been a it's kind of an uphill battle, right? For 20 something years. All I hear is all you do is talk about weed, blah, 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 blah. Nobody wants to hear about all that. And now they're like, hey, we need a weed comic.
0: Quick call. That's I was going to ask you that, like, you know, you've done doug's show often and i wondered yeah that's my boy he's awesome by the way yeah is it is it annoying though that some white guy in his 40s or something starts doing weed for the first time and gets absolutely huge off of that
2: what? uh he didn't start doing it for the first time i mean i met doug before he started smoking weed sure but he also did a movie he's been a writer yeah he's you know, he's been on the week that was or whatever so I mean, I don't think he's so much known as being a weed comedian as he's known for being a comedian who enjoys weed, right? And there's kind of a difference. I'm clearly, like, been positioning myself as a pot comic. Yeah. Uh, like, you think marijuana, think Ungayo. It's like, you know, Cheech, Chong, and me. Right. The Trinity. Uh, right, I'm clearly, uh, let's see, I guess Chong would be the father, Cheech would be the son, I'd be the Holy Spirit uh, of Canada. <laughs> And and that's the thing, like, just do your own thing, man. In some ways, it's a competition, but I never really think about it like that. It's really an exhibition. So you play your best game, you do your best skills, you do what you do. And then after that, it's not really up to you. You never know what's going to happen. Right? I I had no idea the show was going to make it to Netflix. We didn't. Didn't tape it as a Netflix special. We taped it for some other thing, and now it's on Netflix. So I'm very right. excited.
1: Another thing that I imagine comes into play with Doug also is that he gives you lots of positive attention. Doug's always down to have you on as a guest. He's done a lot to boost your profile.
2: Oh sure, he's my boy. We do great. I love him. Yeah, I've been on his show. I've been on Doug uh, getting Doug with high more than almost anybody except for like Todd Glass, I think. And then yeah, mm-hmm. I I I, I, uh, I, I low key cyberstalk Doug because uh, he's hella cool and so sometimes i just call him up like hey man i'm actually gonna be in vancouver when you're in vancouver can i do the show with you and he's like yeah man sure come out or i'll be like hey i hear you're going to durham i got some homies out there that i wanted to visit can i come out he's like yeah all right man come on out so it works out
1: hey uh partly because i'm excited to have another comedian on i i want to do another inside baseball uh question for you <laughs>
2: Let's talk about. This is the most uh, non-sciencey science podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll
1: get there in the quiz show. Don't worry. Angayo, talk to me about uh, being who you are and performing at old folks' homes and stuff like that, which I'm. You're fantastic at. Uh,
2: yeah, I don't know how many old folks' homes I performed at. I've but I performed for like, uh, Missoula Chamber of Commerce or the Rotarian <laughs> Club dinner or. Um, Tribble used to have he used to put together special Christmas runs uh, back in the day, which were crazy because, you know, different companies would want to do Christmas parties for their employees. And so instead of playing the bars and nightclubs, you just roll around and you do the Christmas party for the auto dealership, You do a Christmas party in Wyoming for all these other spots. And the money was better. But the driving's treacherous because you're driving through Wyoming and Montana in the dead of winter, so <laughs> you got to get up. You know, you're gonna you got to drive 200 miles for the next gig, but it's gonna take you six hours, right? So <laughs> you had to do things like that. I don't know, man. I just tried to be uh, myself and be engaging and fun, and I, I'm fortunate that I'm a halfway decent river. right? And that um, I'm fairly likable, so even if they don't always like my material, they still kind of like me and I can get it over. And And, and I also think that as a, as a comic, you should have a, a variety of jokes. You should have some jokes, even if they're jokes you only do at old folks' homes or jokes you only do for Rotarians. Like you never, ever pull them out. This joke is eight years old. I only pull it out in this particular situation. That's fine. That's good to have that sort of stuff in your back pocket because you're going to be asked to play, especially when you're starting out, you're going to be asked to play a lot of different things. And I've always prided myself on being able to rock any condition, any sort of club, any sort of deal. The job is to entertain. The job is to move the crowd, right? And and it's kind of selfish if you think that you're better than the crowd or like they just don't get my jokes. It's not your job. That's not your job to to go up there and be selfish. Your job is to go up there and give energy, reflect.
1: I called you after a disaster of a Christmas gig this past holiday season hoping you'd have some advice for me or make me feel better. I was like, dude, I just couldn't connect with them anywhere. And your response just killed me. You said, "Well, why didn't you juggle?" <laughs> 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 Cuz I don't know how to juggle, you son of a
2: bitch. I do still bring my juggling stuff. Because...
1: <laughs> you do that If, yeah. if so yeah. so if you're struggling up there, you'll do that. You'll you'll yeah. reach down and get the juggling balls out and be like, "Well, yeah. how about this then?" <laughs>
2: I started, right, you guys don't know, I started as a juggler. I started as a street performer in San Francisco in 1980-something. That's Uh, awesome. 88, yeah. So, yeah, there were definitely times where, uh, you know, I would be invited to some weird square-ass thing, and I didn't know how it was going to go. So I would definitely bring the juggling stuff with me just in case I needed 15, 20 minutes of Okay, just stare at these things and listen to these corny ass jokes from me. <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. I remember one time, I think I was in Wyoming one time with Dan Gabriel. And uh, I had left my stuff in the trunk of the car. And I was up there just flailing. They were not feeling the weed or the sags or the observations at all. And so I grabbed my keys and threw them to Dan. I was like, go get my shit. <laughs> and then I managed to salvage a good 15 minutes out of it.
0: I'm picturing like a break glass in case of emergency, and there's just some like juggling clubs behind there. <laughs>
2: right. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Like it yeah. Weed like and knives.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's swing it back around to science, <laughs> if we could. Science. <laughs> so, and there there will be loads of science at the actual show, uh, which is coming up on August second at Piano Vice. Um, yes. so yeah, I, I'm interested in, I, I, I'm very interested in the science of weed in general, because I like both science and weed. Uh, one of the things that always kind of bothers me though, is seeing a lot of, um, people who take it a little too far in saying that, you know, weed cures cancer and things like that. Have you run into a lot of that when writing about the science of weed?
2: Oh, Sure. I hang out with a lot of proselytizers and cats who really are, are truly convinced that weed is a panacea and weed can cure a lot of other things. And I think while uh, weed can help, I, I don't know if it's always the super wonder drug that some people uh, say that it is. I think the probably the best book to read about it is, um, what's it called? Cannabis Gateway to Health by Clint Werner. And he's, he's definitely a fan of weed. For all sorts of uses. They're protected, it helps the heart, it does good things for brain injuries. Uh, but he's also a little more realistic about it. And so he's he's very careful not to be like, oh, if you get cancer, just smoke a lot of weed and it'll go away. Right. <laughs> things like that. But I also know people who've had uh, really serious, like stage three lung cancer and all kind of crazy shit. And they started a cannabis reg- with like a serious mm-hmm. cannabis regimen, not just like going of to smoke some weed in a different way, but like, you know doses and all kinds of different things. And it has definitely helped a lot of people. And people, there are plenty of people who are alive today that probably would not be alive if it weren't for their steady marijuana regimen.
0: And that's in addition to going to an actual doctor and getting yeah. treatment. Yes, yes,
2: yeah. in addition, in addition. Although, although some people don't like the idea of chemo. And, and I've yeah. seen it both ways. I've seen people do both. I've seen people just do one. And, you know, you never know, you never know.
0: Yeah, and it, it it gets so difficult because we end up needing to rely on so many anecdotes. And, you know, there are these rare cases where no matter what you do, someone's cancer will uh, recede by itself. Yeah. And so we can attribute that to all kinds of things. And uh, I think there's this huge problem right now with uh, the inability of our government and our research institutes to properly study cannabis and its effects on health, um, because of, you know, certain laws and regulations.
2: Is it, is it an inability
0: or is it an unwillingness? It's a little both, isn't it? Yeah. Like there are regulations out there that make it very difficult to get a hold of cannabis to study and to get the funding for it. You know, a lot of, um, universities, uh, A lot of researchers need to get grants from the U.S. government, and getting those grants for cannabis research is extremely difficult due to you know our government's view. So it's an
2: unwillingness. It's an unwillingness to let science decide. An unwillingness to have an open mind. Out in Israel, they're doing. Israel is leading the lead in cannabis research. I think more than really. Yeah. Yeah. They're finding out a lot of different things. I can, uh, I can maybe send you some links to some Israel studies.
0: Yeah, I'd be interested to see Those it.
2: Guys, they're doing the most. I can't think of any recent breakthroughs that they've had. Uh, early in the morning for me, but I'll, <laughs> I'll send you some. It's eleven it's thirty a.m. I'll, no,
0: no, <laughs> uh, it's okay,
2: I'm nocturnal. Uh, I.
0: I'm there with you, Keith is always like, Hey, can we record at like eight AM because I'll have been up for several hours by then? Yeah. I'm like, no. Has a, a young child. My children are all young adults. So Right. They can do it. And my child is a dog, so Fair
2: enough. So they, they don't care when you get up. Uh
0: well I, I do think we're going to have an entire category on drugs, uh, for this month's Quizotron. So you better brush up on those great,
2: I'm good on drugs.
0: <laughs>
1: Let me ask you, Gail. Do you do a lot of drugs?
2: I don't. uh, Thank you, Keith. That was beautiful. (laughs) I don't do a lot of drugs. I do a few drugs a lot. (laughs) Thank you for setting me up. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Well, I I tried once before and it didn't work so well, but I thought I'd give it another go. I'm not
2: going to go into like a whole four-minute bit, but if you're going to set me up for a one-liner, then yes. Then yes. (laughs)
0: For <laughs> that other stuff, you're gonna have to come to a show.
2: You gotta come to the show. The context is different, <laughs> and I'm also not trying to burn on my material in a podcast. Like, you gotta save some of it,
0: and just a preview podcast too. Like this isn't even the big right. show. This is the teaser podcast. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and guy, I'll give you a chance to tell uh, everyone where they can find you, and of course, we'll share that information uh, on on our, you know, uh, uh, social media and and such. Yeah. All the stuff. You can find
2: me on the social media uh, ngaio420, ngaio420. Because there's 419 other mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um
1: and
2: <laughs> Is is uh, that, that's Twitter Instagram and Snapchat. Although I really only lurk on Snapchat. I don't really participate. Um, you can see me uh, August 2nd at the Quizatron, um, and then you can see me August 3rd through the 5th at Last Unlimited in Sacramento. And then you can see me at the Seattle Hemp Fest, August, uh, the third weekend in August. So it's like 15th through the 18th or something like that, 16, 17, 18th, something like that, and various other places. I'm going to be in Nashville in July with Brian Pesane at Zane's at the end of this month. So
1: Great. Nice. And people can also see you at their convenience on Netflix. The show is Cooking on High, and I believe you also have an album available online.
2: I have an album called Weed and Sex, uh, and that's available on iTunes or cdbaby.com, or you can just stream it on the Spotify. Either way, you um, need more passive-aggressive income. So please, please enjoy
0: all of these Awesome. Well, we will see you August 2nd at Piano Fight in San Francisco, uh, where you will also be joined by Kishore Hari and Dr. Jennifer Gunter, that two previous right. Quizatron guests. So, you know...
2: It's a doctor. Be
0: serious. A- exactly bring your a game uh those listening can find ticketing info up now at quizatron.com and gaio thank you so much for joining us
2: thank you so much very much
0: appreciate all it. right have a good one